0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share.
1: The opening words are by Mother Teresa. Love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action is service. Whatever form we are, able or disabled, rich or poor, it is not how much we do, but how we love. How much love we put in the doing, a lifelong sharing of love with
0: others. In this room, we have people with backgrounds in and practices from all major world religions, including neo-paganism, secular humanism, staunch atheism. We have a little bit of everything, sometimes all within the same person. So what holds us together? One of the things that holds this congregation is its mission and we wrote it on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. One of the ways in which we do justice is that on the second Sunday of every month, we have a a double offering. Today's featured organization is Planned Parenthood in honor of Valentine's Day. Kay McLaughlin is going to come talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. I have the
2: distinct pleasure of standing up for Planned Parenthood today. (laughs) Thank you for that warm welcome, because Planned Parenthood enjoys the greatest popularity of any organization or the approval rating of any organization in the United States today. And yet, our government is willing to shut down the government in order to try to defund it. But for individuals like you, uh, Planned Parenthood continues to stand strong. The state of women's health in this country today is challenged in the most insidious and malicious of ways. Truth and science capitulate to lies, deceit, and language manipulation. There is no such thing as partial birth abortion, and yet we hear about it all the time. Our state leads in funding fake pregnancy clinics where women are given false information from non-medical personnel at the expense of your tax dollars. On March second, the Supreme Court will hear oral, oral arguments in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstock, a challenge to a Texas law that has closed half of the state's abortion clinics since 2013. If the law is allowed to stand, it would close all but ten of Texas clinics. Advocates on both sides of the abortion issue say this case could be the most important decision on abortion in 25 years. One of the certain supporters of this heinous law died on a West Texas ranch yesterday, increasing the odds that the Supreme Court will rule against it, bringing a modicum of justice to Texas women. And on this contentious and divisive stage of women's health, Planned Parenthood continues to hold their ground and shine a beacon of light for comprehensive, factual, and non-judgmental sexuality education for all, respecting the young, the old, the LGBT community with health centers that provide birth control, HIV tests, and treatment for sexually transmitted infections for Travis County residents. And yes, in some of their clinics, they provide abortion. That procedure is less than 5% of the services they provide. But make no mistake, if they back down on abortion, the focus will shift to the empowering programs of education and contraception. February is for lovers. Valentine is for lovers. So it makes sense to feature Planned Parenthood as the flag bearers of sexual health in our country. Thank you for your time today.
1: Love one another, but let love be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each one of you be alone, even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping, for only the hand of life can contain your hearts. But let there be spaces in your togetherness, And let the winds of the heavens dance
0: between you. Now is the time in our service when we settle in together, breathe deeply. When we follow our breath in and out of our bodies. Noticing our thoughts, all the lists we're making, all the things we're worried about but inviting our attention to return to our breath. Times of agitation like this, we need the stillness. Times when suffering, cries of suffering fill the wide sky, we need the stillness. Let us enter into the wise silence together, understanding that sounds of life and noises of small children count as silence in this congregation. I used to work with a friend of mine, a co-author of one of the books um, named Pat Job. and Pat was, we laughed from our bellies every day. But Pat was also irritating. And Pat, if you ever watch this online, I'm sorry. Um, I've told him to his face. Because all he wanted to talk about was love. Everything was about oneness and love and oneness and love. And in fact, he used to preach at a small country church in the North Carolina mountains. And his elders, one of the less good-tempered elders, one time came and visited him and said, all you talk about is love, 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 love. <laughs> what kind of preacher are you? <laughs> and so um you know we had this mailman tall bald shiny headed african american coffee colored mailman named Perry who would come in and give the mail every afternoon and like they do and um and Perry would kind of wave as he came in and we'd go hey Perry and I'm not sure he got greeted like that anyplace else, but this was a weird kind of office. And um, and then when Perry would leave, he'd salute again, and Pat would go, I love you, Perry. <laughs> and Perry would be out the door kind of like, whoo. <laughs> but Pat loved, you know, he would tell everybody he loved them. And, and then he would say, I love you, Meg. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, what does that even mean? You love the mailman. And he, I, one day, he got serious. I was, I was like, "No, seriously, what does that mean?" And he said, "Well, it just means, you know, I, I wish good things for you, and I, I, um, I think of you fondly." And he's talking about the mailman now, not me. Um, for me, he wrote a big, long thing in magic marker that was orange, with the things he loved about me listed alphabetically. Which was fabulous. I still have it. Um, But he said, you know, like when I talk to Perry, I just mean I wish the best for him, and I wish good things, and I wish, uh, you know, I just want to shine a light of love on him for a minute. And I uh, just didn't agree. And I couldn't really figure out why I didn't agree. And the the reason I've been thinking about this again, and the reason I'm talking about love, because it's Valentine's Day, duh, is... um, that the ripples are going out from this little book that got dropped into my life um, called The Life-Changing Art, Magical Art of Tidying Up, or something like that. And a lot of us have read it, and it's written by this very OCD Japanese woman (laughs) who um, is a tidying expert. And she says things like, you must tidy all at once, don't spread it out, over many days, because then it won't happen. And you must not tailor this program to your own personality. Do it the way I say do it, (laughs) which I love. But um, one of the things that made me take the book home from the store is that she was talking about her socks. She said, don't knot your socks up or throw them on the floor. They've worked hard for you. They've taken your weight in between your foot and your shoe all day long. And so thank them, throw them in the washing machine, and then put them in the drawer in a way that's restful for them. <laughs> I thought it would be exhausting to go around thanking everything. But um, I was in the mood for a thought experiment, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to thank. thank my things. I'm going to act as if they are alive. And I'm going to see if it's exhausting. So the first thing I thanked was the coffee pot, because (laughs) I even gave it a little bow. I was like, thank you (laughs) for my coffee. And um, then I think I thanked the flowers that were the tulips on the kitchen table, because they were gorgeous. And uh, lastly, I I, I did thank my socks, but... I didn't just put, I decided that my socks liked to be knotted up in the drawer because that's the way I do it and they love me. So um, we're not changing anything like that. But it wasn't exhausting. It was as if the more I was thankful, even to things, the more thankfulness I had inside me. It was very pleasant. I don't know why I stopped, like you do. So it was not a zero-sum activity. And I thought, well, maybe love is that way, too. And maybe it's true. The more you give, the more you have, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I thought, why did I think it was zero-sum? Why did I think that I couldn't give love to everything? And the first thing that came to mind was that I had been taught by the culture that love means putting other people's needs above your own. How many people have heard that? Yeah. Right. And so I started asking, where did that come from? And somebody said, oh, it comes from Christianity. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't, because I know the Bible better than anybody I know. <laughs> and it's not in there. And in fact, what the Bible says about love is very poetic and very sensible. And the most famous passage is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or as Donald Trump would say, 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> Love is always patient and kind. It is never jealous. Love is never boastful or conceited. It is never rude or selfish. It does not take offense and is not resentful. Love takes no pleasure in other people's sins but delights in the truth. It is always ready to excuse, to trust, to hope, and to endure whatever comes. That's a very unromantic view of love. It would take a lot of toughness to love like that. And I can't really go there, especially, especially that last part, enduring whatever comes. In South Carolina, I worked a lot with battered women, and I'm thinking, and this is what they quoted, we're supposed to endure whatever comes. I'm like, uh-uh, not that. But the rest of it is really something you can work with, trying to figure out what love is, whether you love somebody, whether somebody loves you. Are they jealous? Are they boastful? Are they conceited? Are, do they... Um, do they trust you? Do they hope for things? This is a pretty good description of of love. So I think the idea of putting other people 's needs above your own comes from a medieval idea of courtly love. Romantic love was born out of courtly love, and courtly love is something that the knights would do they would they would fabricate this ideal love inside themselves, and then they would kind of put it on a lady far away or another guy don 't know we don 't hear a lot about that so they would they would make this ideal of love and then just shine it like a beam on somebody that they didn 't know very well, and they would do spectacular things for this person or in the name of this person in honor of this person. But it had little to do with a relationship with that person. So courtly and romantic love is not all that great for a relationship if that's your view of love, putting somebody else's needs above your own all the time. And if it's like, if that is what love is, then you can't love everybody because how many people are you going to put their needs above your own? When I was thinking about this with Pat, had two small sons, I put their needs above my own, no question. That was just not even something I had to think about. But I loved Pat, but if it came down to him or me, it would have to be him. I'm sorry. (laughs) Real relationship love, the working truck of love, has to do with a daily negotiation of whose needs take precedence at any one time. Lots of times it's the children. Sometimes it's the mom. Lots of times it's your partner. Lots of times it's you. Sometimes you switch back and forth on an hourly basis. And if you have a real relationship, usually your well-being is affected by their well-being, and so you're bound together in terms of... You know, if one of you is suffering, then the other one can't be okay. And that's not codependence as it has been pathologized. That's just human love. There is codependence, but it's a different sermon. So is this putting other people's needs equal to your own and negotiating who goes first um, is that just for lovers or is that between parents and children? Is that between friends? I think it's everybody. And yet in English, we only have the one word, love. And so people go, oh, you say you love me, but you say you love baseball. And so we get all self-righteous about that. So we need to know, and you all already know this, I'm sure, that in Greek, there are four words for love. In the Greek culture, they talked about um, uh, The agape was the highest kind of love. Or I was um, in a car going across the Midwest and I heard a preacher uh, pronounce it agape. (laughs) He said agape is the highest kind of love, like when you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you just agape. (laughs) Which is kind of true. So agape was used in early Christianity, which was uh, written down in Greek, as, as meaning God's love for human beings and human beings' love for God, which was kind of an unconditional, all-encompassing love. And it's also used for um, people who are partners. There is that agape part of your love. Now, the second kind is eros, from which comes the word erotic. And eros is a, is a hot, passionate love being engulfed by beauty, stunned and lit up by desire. And it is most often used in terms of um, being passionately attracted to someone, but you can also feel that way about nature at some times. When you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you feel engulfed by beauty, that's agape. When you see a hawk um, flying over your head right after you wish for something and you go, ah, that's agape. I don't, care what in nature lights you up, but usually for everyone there's something. You can feel that way about art or about music. We have very fine music here. And And sometimes it lifts you up into that engulfed by beauty and stunned uh, by the desire to just stay in that place that they lift us to. That's... Eros. It's a powerful energy. Then there's Philia, which is um, what the town I'm from, Philia, (laughs) Adelphia, is named after. They call it the city of brotherly love, but Philia is kind of more friends. It's affection among equals. It's that you can feel for your brother or your chosen brother or your chosen sister. You you can feel this for friends, Philia, and you can feel about... um, Philia is how you feel usually about going to the movies or going hiking. You're just like, oh, yeah, I love that. And that's philia love. You want to be affiliated. You know, that's that same same root. And then there's the one we don't hear about very much at all, storge. It kind of is what it sounds like, storge. It is um, love out of duty. And the ancient Greeks would use this for marriages, but... Um, they had a very different system of marriage than we do. Or they would use this for your feeling for your children, which sometimes that's what gets you through. Just, uh, this is my duty. I'm going to take care of these people, even if they don't care if I sleep or not. (laughs) Storge has a strong whiff of putting up with. So that's that kind of love. And there is that. So having real relationships is about combination of all of these loves. You love somebody, you love your children, you love your friend, you love your animals, you love your partner. And as I've said before, people tend to love their favorite animal just about the same as they love their partner, same intensity. So don't ask them to choose. But if you want to have a real love, you're going to have to risk your heart. You have to talk in an open-hearted way with someone who can break you. You have to let go of being angry or well-defended with sarcasm, well-defended with an ironic remove, if you want to have a real conversation that can really be fruitful with someone who might be able to be open-hearted and match you in that. That's a real relationship. And that doesn't happen easily, and it doesn't happen all the time. But once in a while, that connection is enough to keep you going. And loving them means struggling to understand them before you struggle for them to understand you. It means doing what you say you will do and trusting them to do the same. It means making decisions to leave if a heart connection does not seem possible. Just because a love relationship ends doesn't mean it was never any good. And a lot of people will fight that way and they'll say, well, I never loved you. That's not true. or if they love their pills or drinking more than they love you and it's beginning to affect your well-being, sometimes you have to withdraw from that relationship. Even from children, sometimes. Now, raising children is very scary because they're so vulnerable and because you can love them with your whole heart, mind, and strength, but it still doesn't keep them safe from everything. And it can't fix everything. And it feels as if your children are walking down a road by a forest and that there is a tiger in the forest who reaches out every now and then and snatches a child. Mental illness or addiction or physical illness or an accident. Leap out of the forest like a tiger and jerk your child away from you into a place that's unreachable. It, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And many, many among us have been brokenhearted. Many among us feel that we've had good loves in our life. And some among us feel unlovable. And when the people who were supposed to love you were unable to express it or unable to love you, the story we tell ourselves as children is, it's because I'm unlovable. Or when someone that you've given your heart to leaves you, you tell yourself the story that you're unlovable. And yet none of us is unlovable. And we cannot protect ourselves from that feeling by keeping ourselves aloof from love or armoring our heart that kills us even faster than getting broken does. Our hearts, by the end of our lives, should be full and scarred, tenderized. I'm going to end with a quotation from a wonderful Native American writer named Louise Erdrich. This is from a book called The Painted Drum. Life will break you. Nobody can protect you from that. And living alone won't either, for solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It's the reason you are here on earth. You're here to risk your heart. You're here to be swallowed up. And when it happens that you are broken or betrayed or left or hurt or death brushes near... Let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself you tasted as many as you could. And now, please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I am willing and I am open For to be hopeless would seem so strange It dishonors those who go before us. So lift me up to the light of change. Go in peace.
1: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at
0: www.austinuu.org.